7. Why it? So it is with that treasure which we call our good name our reputation among men. Through the grace of God we may live so true that we deserve the respect and honor of our fellow men, and yet, that good name, that reputation, may suffer irreparable injury at the hands of one who, through deliberate design or careless habit, speaks words concerning us which cause us to be misjudged or misunderstood, says Samuel Butler, the feeblest vermin can destroy as sure as stoutest beasts of prey, and only with their eyes and breath, infect and poison men to death. Let us illustrate the point by placing on the paper a little landscape. Draw figure 78 complete leaving the right half of the paper blank. We have before us a great, wide river, a stream which forms an important channel of commerce. Each year, traffic is carried over its waters which amount to many hundreds of thousands of dollars. Cities have grown up along its banks, in many ways it has been a wonderful blessing. Its silent waters flow on and on through the years, blessing generation after generation of men. As we turn from the big silent stream and wander through the woods our ears catch the sound of falling waters, and then we come suddenly upon a scene like this. Draw the second landscape, completing figure 79. It is a pretty little brook, you say. Yes, it island but we smile as we compare the noisy little stream with the mighty silent river, and our minds dwell upon the fact that they are but reflections of life itself. Just as the little brook makes more noise than the big river, So do many people with small minds cause more agitation and trouble in a community than people whose lives are governed by the principles of charity, kindness and common sense. Let us watch, therefore, to see that our thoughts as well as our words are such as to add to the happiness of those about us. Calmness and carefulness will accomplish this. Let us guard well against the ill-spoken word, however harmless it may seem, said one girl to another. Don't you think Julia is a splendid girl? Oh. Yes, responded the other, but I have sometimes wondered whether or not she is always sincere in what she says. How easy it is to attach a sting to an innocent remark. Our lightly spoken words may blight the life of an innocent one, for words repeated are like the rolling snowball which grows larger as it is pushed over the fallen snow. As one dog, howling in the night, causes all the other dogs in town to howl, so we may start a needless alarm by a single unfair word. Let us praise the good, always, for none not even ourselves is perfect. The deceitfulness of sense in allurement the modern artificial fishing bait as an illustration of seductiveness. The lesson that sin gains its victims through the most alluring deception. This illustration should prove valuable in presenting to the minds of boys of all ages the truth of the seductiveness of sin. As the treatment of the subject brings in a discussion of a sport with which all are more or less familiar. The talk, at the beginning of our talk today. I am going to place on the drawing paper the picture of a fish. Draw figure 80. Complete. It looks like a very large fish. But, as a matter of fact, it is a very greatly enlarged picture of a very little fish. In reality, it is a minnow only about three inches long. The kind which the bigger fish like for dessert. And which, therefore, are usually pretty careful where they go. Now, I want to see. By having you hold up your hands. Just how many of you boys like to go fishing? One, two, three why? Nearly all of you. Some, I suppose are fond of still fishing that is to fish from the bank or from an anchored boat. And not move around very much. And some like to troll. I suppose that is to use an artificial bait and let the line drag in the water quite a distance back of the rowboat as you propel it through the water. And others, perhaps like to cast that island to throw the bait away out into the water and then bring it in again by winding up the line on the reel, and some, 
I suppose, like to use other methods of catching fish, but I am going to speak only of the artificial bait which is used by those who troll and cast, nearly always, the fisherman buys his artificial bait from a store which sells all sorts of artificial minnows and other false bait which have been made by experts, and who are these experts? They are men who have spent years trying to find out the best way to fool the fish into believing they see their prospective dinner, when in reality they are going to their death. One kind of bait is the artificial minnow. The manufacturer makes a wooden minnow, shaped like the real minnow, whose picture I have drawn, then he paints it in the colors of the live minnow, and sometimes he puts on some bright metal which whirls in the water and attracts the attention of the fish. If the deception were to stop there, very little harm would be done but to all this the manufacturer adds a lot of ugly hooks, sometimes as many as 15. It is well to draw the lines suggested as the talk proceeds, and finish by drawing the hooks at this point. Completing figure 81, when this attractive artificial minnow is made to glide through the water, the fish, seeing nothing of the hooks or else knowing nothing of their harmfulness, opens his mouth wide and tries to swallow the bait. Immediately, the ugly hooks catch him and unless he can tear loose he is doomed, he is deceived, he finds out his mistake when it is too late. Sometimes, the fisherman uses a spoon hook or other bait in which the hooks are hidden beneath some bright colored feathers or other material which looks tempting to the fish. The intended victim dashes after the alluring bait, seeing nothing but the glitter of the bright metal or the brilliancy of the colors. He loses his life as a result. It seems strange doesn't it that fish can be fooled in this way, and yet, I am not sure but that people are just as foolish themselves, very often, ask the drunkard how he happened to reach the low depths to which he has fallen, and he will tell you that when he, as a young man, took his first glass, it was in a brilliantly lighted place where, it seemed, the air was filled with good fellowship, and he thought he was happy, at that very moment, he was pursuing the glittering, attractive bait which later proved to be his utter ruination, he had not seen the hidden hooks. Ask the thief, confined in his lonely cell, how he happened to become an outcast, and he may tell you that it started in school when he thought it a very happy thing to cheat in his examinations and thus acquire the habit of being dishonest. He did not see the hidden hooks which the evil one had placed there to deceive and catch him. Jesus wants all the boys and girls to be watchful of the snares of life and to live so truly that they will easily escape the temptations which abound everywhere. Take heed, he said, watch ye. Therefore, and pray always, that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things. The mask sincerity truth let us ask ourselves earnestly if we are guilty of wearing it. The lesson that the world honors and respects an honest man, one who does not fear the opinion of those about him. We recall the words of Jesus, who, in his sermon on the mount, warned his hearers to beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves and we reflect how applicable are the words in modern times. Everywhere, one must beware the snares and deceit of the servants of Satan, who, with pleasing outward appearance, entrap their victims. It is a delight and a satisfaction, then, to find real truth and sincerity in the earth, and it is to be found if we but look for it. The talk. It is said that when a thief wants to rob a house, he tries to find the home of an honest man. Why? Because he thinks that the honest man, who never takes advantage of his fellow men, will be least apt to suspect that anyone will take advantage of him. But the same truth holds good when one honest man seeks to deal with another honest man, a true man, 
when he comes to us with any plan of work or investment may be relied upon to say just what he thinks and believes, he is dependable, it is a pleasure and a satisfaction, when we are listening to the words of another person, to know that that other person is speaking the truth, but not everyone is to be depended upon in this way, there is another kind of man who tells you something in apparent sincerity, but when he calls upon the next person he may tell the story in an entirely different way, why? because he believes that the second person will be better pleased with the revised version. How often do we find an attractive face which gains our entire confidence? A face, pleasant to see and agreeable in every way. Draw face, completing figure 82. And then, how often are we pained and shocked and disappointed when something happens which allows us to look into the real character of the person and we find that his real self is anything but agreeable and worthy of confidence. Draw lines to complete figure 83. Such a discovery, however, should not cause us to lose faith in our brothers. Truth, character, and a splendid degree of manhood abound everywhere. Boys and girls, begin now the formation of habits which will make you strong, honest, worthy men and women. Sometimes you see a man who is fiery, cross, ill-tempered and surly. Again you will find one who is fawning, over-polite subservient and altogether wearisome because, in trying to make himself agreeable he becomes a bore and a nuisance, both of these kinds of men have failed to reach the right goal of manhood, we must have backbone, firmness and stamina, but we must be willing to bend sometimes or we are apt to get some pretty hard bumps when we hold our heads too high, remember that you can't please everybody, sometimes it is best to say yes when people ask you to do certain things, and sometimes a flat foot no is the thing, Remember that if you agree with everybody who expresses an opinion, you have the respect of nobody. Think for yourself, but think carefully. If you choose to grovel at the feet of those about you, you must expect to get stepped on and run over. Above all, cultivate a habit of being so straightforward and above board that no one will ever doubt your sincerity. Don't wear a mask of sincerity when the real character is less honorable. To do this is to cheat yourself more than anyone else for the deception is oftentimes but thinly veiled, in his early life, in the year 1844, Lord Beaconsfield, said, in an address before the literary and scientific institution of London, a man can be what he pleases, every one of you can be what he desires to be, I have resolved to hold a certain position, and if I live I will, it is not known to what position Benjamin Disraeli referred, but he attained to the highest position possible to any man in England, Notwithstanding that his status as a Jew was a strong barrier against his progress, on his deathbed he said, Nothing can resist a will which will stake even existence for its fulfillment. That is determination. Such determination will make any man what he wants to be. It will enable every one of us to reach his highest ideal. And may that ideal be to shun the dishonest and seek the honest life in its every element. Washington's strength Washington's birthday trust through his great trials he remained steadfast in his hold on God. The lesson that trouble either adds to our spiritual strength or else casts us down, depending on the stability of our character and our hold on God. This illustration, especially full on the occasion of the birthday of George Washington, on the 22nd of February, is adaptable to the needs of the younger boys and girls, but its significance may give hope and strength to the older ones as well. The talk. Boys, how many of you ever flew a kite? Well, that's fine. You will be able. Then, to answer the question I am going to ask you, now, listen, if the wind is blowing from the west, which way do you run to make the kite go up? Yes, 
you run toward the west, right against the wind, if you run with the wind, the kite won't go up at all, will it, draw the kite as in figure 84, black outline, red tail, one might think that when a strong wind blew against the kite, it would be blown away like a piece of loose newspaper, but that isn't so, and when a gentle breeze increases to a strong, steady wind, the kite goes higher and higher, provided it is made of good material, and provided, also, that someone holds tightly to the other end of the string, but if the string breaks, down comes the kite, why, because the very thing which holds it down is the same thing which holds it up, you may never have thought of it, but each of us boys and girls and each one of us men and women is a good deal like a kite, when the winds of trouble and worry blow against us they may cause us to arise higher or they may blow us down, today, I want to tell you how George Washington acted when troubles came to him, and if any man in the world's history was loaded down with soul-trying troubles it was the father of his country. Listen while I read for you a few sentences from private letters which he wrote during the Revolutionary War. It will be well to have these and other extracts written so you may read them verbatim. I am wearied almost to death with the retrograde motion of things, and I solemnly protest that a pecuniary reward of £20,000 a year would not induce me to undergo what I do. And, after all, perhaps, lose my character. Again, our affairs are in a more distressed, ruinous, and deplorable condition than they have been since the commencement of the war, and he adds that unless Congress comes valiantly to his assistance at once the country will sink into irretrievable ruin. Again he writes, every idea you can form of our distresses will fall short of the reality. I have almost ceased to hope. These were dark days and the winds of adversity were beating mercilessly against the man into whose hands had been placed the cares of the great struggle for national existence. He was like the kite bravely battling against the wind, but he was made of good stuff, and there was a strong hand holding the string. For we read again from his letters, how it will all end, God in his great goodness, will direct. I am thankful for his protection to this time. I had a consolation within that no earthly effort can deprive me of and that is that neither ambitions nor interested motives have influenced my conduct. The arrows of malevolence, therefore, however barbed and whelp want, can never reach the most vulnerable part of me, though, while I am set up as a mark they will be continually aimed. His trust was in God, and so shocked was he when he learned that the habit of swearing was growing in the army that he issued a general order calling upon officers to set the men a good example, and added, the practice is foolish and wicked if I saw mean and low, without temptation, that every man of sense and character detests and despises it. We can have little hope of the blessing of heaven on our arms if we insult it by our folly and our impiety. Remember George Washington was not the man to give way under severe trials. He was not like the kite whose framework breaks or whose paper covering is torn by the force of the wind. Under these conditions a kite must dash to the earth. Draw the rent in the kite with black. Remove the drawing from the board, invert it, and then reattach it to the board. Figure 85. But when the trials came to Washington he arose in his might to meet them, knowing that God would be with him. Let us ever remember that God is our strength, just as he was the strength of George Washington. A merry heart, cheerfulness smiles to cultivate the spirit of cheerfulness is to bless and brighten other lives. The lesson that in no way can we serve those about us better than by the kind of service which reveals the true gladness of the Christian life. The Christian religion is based upon principles which lift us from sin and its attendant evils of discouragement, and rest, despondency and suffering, to the higher plane of confidence, hope, praise and love, 
it is a religion of good cheer, which God's children must reflect to a darkened world if they are to fulfill their earthly mission, the talk, I wonder how many of us are getting too busy or too lazy to smile, I see some, who were looking pretty solemn before I made the remark whose faces look a little brighter now and some have already broken into a most gladsome smile, I'm glad of it, smiles, they say are the least expensive things we can give to other people, and sometimes they value them more than silver or gold, but how can we smile unless we feel like it, that's the question, well, we will feel like it if we think right things and do right things, living close to the master, even if things do go very, very much awry sometimes, the Bible has a good many things to say about smiles, and it isn't at all guarded in declaring that smiles are worth a good deal more than words, unless those words are very carefully spoken. Here is what we find in the book of Proverbs, a merry heart make the cheery countenance. So, we find, it is necessary to feel happy within before we can show it on the outside. And then it says, he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast, which shows that if we are truly happy, everything about us will appear brighter and more delightful. Again, it says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. How true this is, you never saw a sour, gloomy pessimistic person who was in real good health while the one who shows the most gladsome face is either in splendid physical condition or else has risen above his pains and distress in his appreciation of God's blessings. They are always believing that it might be worse. But is this cheerfulness for the sole benefit of the one who smiles? Not a bit of it. We cannot do evil without harming someone, neither can we cultivate cheerfulness without proving a blessing to others. Here, I want to draw for you the picture of a boy who doesn't seem to have this happy disposition of which we have been speaking. Draw the lines to complete figure 86. Perhaps he looks this way most of the time it is a bad beginning. We see him here, coming down the street, perhaps he will meet one of the other boys. Ah, yes, here comes another boy, and this boy has a merry heart. If we are to judge from his facial expression, draw the second boy. We have no way of knowing what this second boy said to the first boy, but we can tell from his face that he has a merry heart. And what about the first boy? has caught it, for his face reflects the smile of the second boy, add line to change the facial expression of the first boy, completing figure 87, we refer again to the book of Proverbs, and there we find that a word spoken in due season, how good it is, it must have been such a word that the first boy spoke to the second, a word fitly spoken, we read again, is like apples of gold in pictures of silver, but we must choose the right words to go along with the smile, and the greatest danger seems to be that we will say too much. For the same book of Proverbs says that he that hath knowledge spareth his words. He knows how to choose and when to stop. Let us remember that the smile counts for more than mere words. The smile is a universal language understood everywhere on earth. It is the badge of friendship. And that is the thing which the world craves. A friend of Haydn, the great composer, once asked him how it happened that his church music was so full of gladness. And Haydn replied, I cannot make it otherwise. I write according to the thoughts I feel, when I think upon my God. My heart is so full of joy that the notes dance from my pen. To the one who needs your smile there is nothing else in all the world. Perhaps, that will prove so life-giving. Many a despondent one has been thrilled with vital power, lifted, and ennobled by the knowledge that another heart beats with it in tenderness and sympathy. What is best? Success work success means the constant employment of our best faculties in the noblest of service. The lesson that true success does not depend so much upon what you get out of this world, 
as upon what you accomplish for others. The magic word, success, is before each one of us to inspire us to a larger deeds, but let us not forget that many a rich man has made a great failure of life, while many a poor man has made a great success of it. The talk deals with the subject in a commercial way, as an illustration of success in the truest sense. The talk, every one of us desires to be successful, but some of us have one definition of success while others have an entirely different view. Many are sure that the attainment of wealth is the measure of success, some are equally sure that the achievement of political or social honors marks the arrival at the goal of success, and so on. But, no matter how we may have defined success, many of us who have fallen short of our ideals declare in the bitterness of disappointment that we could have reached the top if we had only had the advantages that others enjoyed, if we had been helped at the proper time, or if we could have had enough money or strength. Let us take the example of the young man who occupies a high position in the commercial world. We will draw a picture of him seated at his desk. Draw figure 88. Complete. This young man is at the head of an important department of a great manufacturing concern, and there are rumors that he is about to be advanced to a place of greater responsibility. He receives a large salary. It is a part of his duties to direct the work of many men in his department. These men come to him for instructions. We will draw one of these men. Draw man to complete figure 89. What is passing in the mind of the man who stands here receiving his instructions? This is what he is saying to himself, I cannot understand why this other man, who is no older than I am, should have such a good position, while I must stay in a place of less importance. He must have a pull, and he goes away with bitterness in his heart. The fact is that the man with the lesser position spends his time his energy and his talent in pursuing the trivial, temporary things, the so-called pleasures of life. He is a time waster. The successful one has won his way by concentrating his efforts on learning how best to do his work. Do you ever harbor such thoughts about people who have made good in the commercial life? Have you ever, for example, thought that the high place in the world of commerce held by Andrew Carnegie was attained through some strange chance or luck? If you have, Perhaps it might be well to take a glance at the main points of his early life. In Scotland, his father was a weaver, whose business was destroyed by the introduction of power looms. One day, when the father came home, he said to his boy, Andy, I have no more work. The lad knew what it meant, and immediately he decided to meet his father's problem to keep the wolf of hunger from the door. He was then but ten years old. It was decided to come to America, and hear Andrew Carnegie at the age of 11, obtained a place in a mill as a bobbin boy, at 1.20 a week. He writes as follows concerning the great lesson he learned at that time, I was no longer dependent upon my parents but at last was admitted to the family partnership as a contributing member and able to help them. I think that makes a man out of a boy sooner than anything else. At the age of 14, he was a stoker in the boiler room of a small factory, and then took employment as a telegraph boy at 300 a year. When he advanced to a place of greater responsibility as a telegrapher, he made his first investment in the purchase of an interest in an express company. While still engaged in this capacity he met Woodruff, the inventor of the sleeping car, and seeing the value of the invention he later engaged in its manufacture. From then forward, as superintendent of the Pittsburgh Division of the Pennsylvania Railroad, in the oil fields and in the steel industry of which he has long been regarded as the king, his rise has been the result not of good fortune, but of hard work looking toward a desired object, the story of the success of the lives of Lincoln, of Moody, of Mozart, 
of thousands of the world's great men is the story of work and hope, of poverty and inspiration. So, in the Christian life, Jesus asks us to cast out of our lives the pursuit of the vain, transient things and to center our minds and hearts upon the truest, the loftiest and the best. Success may mean a most humble place in the world, but the pearl of great price is the blessing of peace, of faith, of hope and of love which come to him to whom the Master says, Well done. Messages to the children Cradle Roll Day Children The scriptures are full of beautiful thoughts for Cradle Roll Day. The lesson that God loves a baby, that both the father and the son, through their recorded words, constantly express their love of the little ones. The somewhat unusual chalk talk will not fail to accomplish its object in getting the attention of the children and causing them to consider some of the especially beautiful thoughts appropriate to Cradle Roll Day. The talk. I want to see the hand of every boy or girl who likes to get a letter. Yes. And you like to get pretty postcards, too, don't you? And the reason you like to get them is that you know, then, that someone thinks of you and cares for you. Well, then, on this cradle roll day, I am sure we would all like to get a letter from someone who cares for us. And so, I will first draw the envelope and then see if there is a message in it for us. Draw the envelope on the paper in black outline and then, with the broad side of your crayon give it an even tinting of pink, light blue or other dainty color. Then, with your black crayon, address the envelope to your own school. By revising the wording as here shown, add the stamp in brown, and the postmark in black. Completing figure 90. Well, here is the envelope. Now, I wonder if there is anything in it for us. With a sharp pen knife or scissors cut a slit in the paper at the end of the envelope as if you were opening it. Thrust in your hand and bring forth the sheet of paper like a letter only much larger folded to fit the envelope figure 91. This, of course, is placed there in advance, beneath the outer sheet. Attached with thumb tacks so it will tear loose readily. The action will arouse much interest. Well, surely we have something here that looks like a letter or a message. Ah, uh, yes. It is a message of love to the little ones from the Savior himself. For it was Jesus who spoke these beautiful words, Suffer the little children to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And let us see if there is a message for the little boys and girls of the sunshine and the primary classes. Ah, yes, here it is, and it is from the Bible. To it all. 12, 1. And this is what it says, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. 1. The evil days come not nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And this means that if you are faithful to your Sunday school and will remember the beautiful things you learn here and carry them through life with you, you will be more than grateful in the years that are to come. I wonder if there is anything here to let these boys and girls know whether God thinks they are worth anything or not. Yes, here is a message from the Psalms which says, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is he whose quiver is full of them. And so a man is rich if he has those about him who call him father. And a mother is blessed in the love of her children. Does the message say anything about how the boys and girls should treat their fathers and their mothers? Let us see. Yes. It says, Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And again it says, My son. Heed the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. And then, too, it adds this word, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And is there a message for us older ones on this cradle roll day? 
I believe their island for I find here this message, except ye become as little children, ye shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. And is there a message to the parent which sheds any light on the way they should treat their children? Yes, here it is, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. When we are boys and girls we must obey father and mother or suffer punishment to keep us in the right pathway. And is there a message to the grandfathers and grandmothers on this glad day? I think so. For I find here this message. Children's children are the crown of old men. Let us remember all of these messages which have come again to us on this glad cradle roll day. The perfect life thanksgiving day perfection the love of God in our hearts may be perfect. Even though our lives fall short of perfection. The lesson that if we hunger and thirst after righteousness. As did the pilgrim fathers. Our lives, though imperfect, will be well pleasing to the father. Many of us are discouraged because we cannot, or do not, attain to the high ideal of life which we find before us. God's word seems to bring comfort to the disappointed one by showing him that if he earnestly desires to attain to the highest ideal, his acts are well pleasing to God, even though he falls short of his hopes. In using the Pilgrim Fathers as an illustration, the talk is well fitted to the observance of Thanksgiving Day, but it is also appropriate for many other occasions. The talk. Any one of us who wants to find something beautiful about us, needs only to take a good look. Here, for instance, we may see a tall, straight tree, draw the tree, of figure 92, and over here, nearby, we may find a rose bush in bloom, draw the bush and rose, and here is the sun shining in all its glory, draw the sunday using orange, any suitable color may be used for the rose, the trunk of the tree should be in brown and the foliage in green. Draw the distant foliage, completing figure 92, and as we look upon these things we may think of them as perfect in every way, because they are all God's handiwork, and yet, let us take a closer look, we find that when the tree is cut down for lumber, 